0: We are in Sefer Malachim, Aleph, Peret Vav, Pasav Aleph, Vayihi Bishmonim Shana V'arbar Meyil and we are ready to begin the work on the base HaMikdash. So start with the fact that the Rambam says that it is a mitzvah saseh, that when we come to the land of Israel we have got to do three things and they have to be in order. First is we have to um, um, elect a king or choose a king rather. We choose a king then we rid the nation of Amalek and then we build a base hamikdash, and so as we say, it's a, it's a positive mitzvah. There's no question about it. And now Shlomo is ready to, in fact, begin that process—a process that will take seven years to complete. So we begin with posukal: "Vayehi bishmonim that in the 480th year that B'nai Yisrael has left Mitzrayim in the fourth year in the Chodesh of Ziv we're not sure what that is uh, is the second month of the year which would make it Iyuv so let's pause for some questions the Torah as a rule does not take a current event and measure it off from a historic or previous event as a rule. The most it will do is, you know, the eighth year of the reign of so-and-so. So there has to be a very good reason why here we're saying it is the 480th year from Yitzias mitzrayim and there is. The Abarbanel says, one, that it is 480 years to the building of the base Hamikdash. The base Hamikdash or Rishon lasts 410 years, and then after 70 years, they come back and they commence the building on the Bayes Shaini. So it is 480 years exactly to Bayes Shaini from the fall of Bayes Rishon. So it is not without its significance that they bring the number. Then the question is, why measure it from Yitzias Mishrayim? Why not measure it from Bria Sa'olam? Or crossing the Jordan, Yoshua leading them across the Jordan. Why is it Yitzias Mishrayim? And the Mepharshim say it's Yitzhiyas Mishraim because of the fact that that is the whole purpose of Yetzias Mitzrayim, is to culminate in a Beis Hamikdash. That is the end of the process, the, the end game to get to that point. So uh, we see it in Dayenu, that we sing at the Siddurim, that it starts, HaTzi Yonu and it goes all the way through all those miracles the Kaddish who performs until, banu Base we build the base ha that that's the end of the purpose that's what we we're supposed to do and so at the end of 480 years we, uh, from Yitzhi Mishraim, fourth year of Shlomo's reign why did it take him four years? so the Meforshim say it's legitimate he had to first consolidate his reign and then he had to gather the materials and so we come back, have we not learned that Melech David, his father, even though he could not build the base on Big Josh, he did gather the materials. He got the gold and the silver and the nechoshes, etc. So why couldn't Shlomo use them? Shlomo did not use them. He put them in the treasury. So he had to start from the beginning in accumulating materials, so that's legitimate. Bechodesh ziv, month of ziv, is brightness, sunshine. So why do we call it Chodesh Ziv? And the answer is that the months of Nisan, Tzir, Sivan, Tammuz, they are not in the Torah. They are not Jewishly ordained names for months. They are Persian names that we took them from the Persian names and some we gave like Ziv, the month of sunshine. But nowhere in the Torah does it appear Nisani or Sivan Thomas. Uh, they are all Persian given names. Interestingly, the only time it does appear in the Sefer Tanakh is Megillus Esther. It refers to Adar. Um, but then the question is, okay, when they come back from the Gollus of Bavel? They give them Jewish names? Why don't they establish Jewish names for the months of the year? The answer is again, they're going to go into Gullus again. They've got to be reminded that they are in Gullus that even the months of the year that they're using are bestowed by the Persian. So now, Ziv, why the month of Ziv? Simple, sunshine. It's May, as it were, and so the, uh, there's no threat of rain or inclement weather to stop the work in the base hamichah. So it's a perfect month. And he builds the house to the Kodesh Baruch So now, uh, before I should point out that if you are using a text like um, the Art Scroll uh and all oh, there are some excellent charts that will help you visualize what we're talking about you can't really get the conception of you know how many um, almost it was etc so refer to that if you want to or a similar text that would have diagrams that will make this easier is, for is you. This the, are these the same dimensions that are in yuma in yuma Yeah. yeah yeah I thought you were going to ask me, is this this the same dimensions that were in the Mishkan? And the answer is no. So, we will come to that. Um, It's 60 uh, cubits in length, and 20 in width, Almost so. So it is sixty by thirty by uh, I'm sorry, sixty by twenty by thirty. This is not the measurements in the Mishkan. It is in fact double. It is. Uh, 30, 15, and 20, the ceiling is three times as high, in case you're following, that it is in the cubits. Cubits are popularly thought to be from 18 inches to 24 to two feet, you round it out. So it is basically two feet. It is double the length and width of the Mishkan, but it is triple the the, uh, height of the ceiling. So now, a very strange sentence. He did, the windows are done, sealed and open as it were. So how do you reconcile, if it's sealed, how could it be open and if it's open, how could it be sealed? I don't know what the Mepharshim say they were wide on the inside and narrow on the outside it like slits on the outside but it was a window on the inside the purpose being the Kuddesper who in the design does not want the light coming from the outside in he wants that light going from the inside out quite metaphorically that the light of Torah the sanctity of the mitzvah, should flow out to all humankind not that we await the light from outside the sun, etc. So that explains the difference in the windows. So you will recall in the Mishkan we have a Kudshe kedushim, and we have a hechal um, that was outside the Kudshe kedushim. but both have equal sanctity. Here we are building walls around the walls, they're going to be used as it were for shelves, for places, rooms for the Kohanim to dress that was not in the Mishkan, so they build these enormous walls, there's a diagram in it, they make it all around Three sides. The front end does not have it. These ledges are of varying uh, length: six, seven, and eight. It's made of rounded that it holds on to the walls. It's a parallel structure to the walls. We should also point out there is a new structure in the bias uh, that wasn't in the first, and that is the oolong. The ulam is a corridor behind the Hekel and we will see what its dimensions are, but there is no counterpart of the ulam to the mishkan. So we see so far the mishkan has an ulam, the mishkan has that wide walls on three sides with shelves and spaces, as we're going to see, and uh, the ceiling is higher. In fact... The mishkan was a temporary structure, though. It's, say that again? The mishkan was a temporary structure. Right. Right. So you are exactly, and this is permanent, etc. So you would think, yeah, of course, there are going to be differences. In fact, the ceiling goes much higher. The ceiling extended from the base on Megiddo is estimated, if you take the cubit measurement, is like 20 stories high. It's an enormous structure. Uh. Now, interesting concept. Uh, the bias was built with full stones, uncut, and uh, there was to be no metal or clee barzel steel used in the construction or used in those stones, and in the building of the bias, there was not heard a garzen, an axe, a steel metal. Let's talk about that. So they took the rocks whole from the quarry. They would dislodge the rocks, took them as they were, and fit them in, had to be miraculously, into the, their place in the base hamitash without any cutting, without any filing or etching or bringing down. A, a miracle, but B, it gives you the opportunity to meet the legendary worm, the Shamir, which is the source of tremendous midrashim. Basically, the Shamir was a worm created on the sixth day of uh, Bria HaOlam. And it had to perform amazing miracles. It could burrow through steel, stone, etc., in fact the Torah says it was the one that etched the Kohen's breastplate in the time of Moshe and there are tremendous midrashim that Shlomo had to find the Shamir There are the intense, wonderful stories we used to learn about Ashmedai who leads him to the Shamir he brings the Shamir back the Shamir does that work on the stones seeing that they fit uh, etching it in um, It's a wonderful, wonderful How the miraculous nature of the shamir and the um, shamir and the stones themselves. The stones were removed before the destruction and hidden away and will be used not, were not used in Bayashani, but will be used ultimately in Bayashlishi. Now this question of metal. So the Torah tells us that on the Mizbeach in the Mishkan, you were not to bring or use metal. There was nothing of steel or metal or iron in the Mizbeah. Shlomo extended that to the entire base Mikdash. There was to be no metal. Metal was commonly thought to be of war, of destruction, the Beis Hamikdash was to be at peace, that's why David could not build it because he was stained with war, so there were no tools of metal in the Beis Hamikdash. It was miraculously where the stones fit into each other, the workmen did not use metal, and from this is a very modern-day halacha, and that is that when we bench after we eat Shabbos, the knives are taken away. You put away the knife. You don't use it as a zecher for that. You do not have metal. And there's a very interesting midrashim if we have time we'll go into. But there was no metal. al Hayamino, Yatsu, al This is describing those walls that we said, those three-sided walls that extend upwards, that have compartments. That have rooms, etc., and we're going to see how they fit in. By even as Habias a Khaleva, Yispan is Habayas Govim, Ushheros Ba Rosim, they can do the bias around these shells uh, and walls are built with cedars. By even as Ietsiya I'll call Habayas Hamesha Mos Khomosel, it's five amos high. By yephas is Habayas Baatse al Razim, and it's attached to the bias with. Cedar trees. Now, all of a sudden, in the midst of this detailed building of the bias Rishon, Chodesh Baruchu appears to Shlomo, some say it's a halon, some say it's direct, some say it's through a novi. But by Yehidavar Hashem o Shlomo Leimor comes to Shlomo, Habayis with a warning, Habayis Hazeh Asheratav Boneh. This. Is Building, you are so immersed in teh lekbeku kosai v'es we you go in my home and my servants allah and my commandments taseva sharmantes comes to so you follow them all lekhas for him for hakimosi for each barti part of joblet i will do my part and be fulfilled. Uh, fulfill everything I promised of your father, the permanence of the base Hamikdash, the uh, permanence of your dynasty and reign. The shachancha Betoh b'nei Yisrael, lo ezov es Israel, and I will dwell in this house for b'nei Yisrael, and I will not abandon b'nei Yisrael. even shlomo es ha'bayis shlomo. Completes the bias, which we will see tomorrow. But the question is why, at this time in the immediacy of the building, does the Kaddish Barhu appear with a warning? And that's exactly the point. Shlomo was so immersed in this building, Shlomo was so convinced that this would be permanent, that the Kaddish Barhu had to come to him and in Wolf and say, wait. It is not going to be permanent unless you keep your part of the bargain. So that beware, and as we're going to see, it's a very well-bestowed warning that unless you do what you're supposed to do, this is not going to be permanent. This is not going to be uh, eternal, and neither will your rain be. So it's sort of a very heavy dose of cold water splashed on Shlomo's zeal in getting this done, and his belief that this is it. This is going to be the permanent structure. So with that warning, we'll continue tomorrow with the outer part of the structure and some very interesting agarata, ad 8.30 a.m., I'm sorry, 8.45 a.m. tomorrow.